even if you want to talk about several different things, I feel like mm-hmm. if there's a common thread, that's that's usually pretty interesting because it means thematically you're working towards some kind of uh, goal or some kind of betterment of a, of a particular skill. Sure, sure. And one thing that I've, I've been thinking about since our conversation, I think it was two nights ago with Connor and Apan and you, it was maybe one o'clock in the morning. It was <laughs> saying how the artist, right? The artist encodes his or her experience mm-hmm. and produces it or presents it in some kind of consumable form so that others can sort of experience a similar thing or experience what you want them to. Mm-hmm. And there's like a very this is not like a not not a very easy thing to do and it's not an easy thing to do well so yeah i, I just I, I i'm really spinning on that so you get thoughts no, yeah i mean i'm into that as an idea because art and all, all forms of media in my mind are really just a form of expression and it art is the uh how can i put it the codified intention of that expression, right? Like, or rather, if you look at the way people produce art, at least from my perspective, especially as a a design or designer and a design student, it was that there is actual intent in everything that you do, right? Every, Every piece that you create, whether it's to just express, you know, feeling sad or feeling happy or whatever, or if it's something much more complex, I mean, even though sad and, sadness and happiness are already complex emotions as it is. Uh, but I think that it's this idea that you're trying to express and get something across to other people. And like we were talking about, you know, what is it, two, three days ago, or whatever, that ability to get that across to other people can transcend that need for a shared language or anything like that. It can just be understood in a more, I don't want to say direct, maybe a more raw way. You know, like art, as you present it to someone, doesn't need me to stand by it and tell you what it is. Because while I can say that, how you can take it is completely different. Right. And some people argue that that's a part of the art, how the artist interprets it or how the artist wants you to interpret it. But I don't think that that's necessarily required for art. Um, but, you know, I've always been of the school of thought that art and design aren't the same things. Uh, and I feel like we've talked about that before in the past about how art is it, art is a form of self-expression or some sort of expression, but design is purely for others, right? It's made with the idea of other people. So I like to think of art and design separately as one as being a more, for lack of a better word, egocentric, not to say that it's a, a an egotistical thing to want to make art or something like that, but it's more about the self and design is more empathic where it's about other people around you and stuff like that. And so as a person who's dwelled in that design space for a long time with all the stuff they do, and I've realized that I still want to get some of that self out there in the world, I guess, you know, like I spent, I spent a lot of time making things for other people. And that's what I do with my work all the time. I spend a lot of days in front of a computer 3D modeling this, drawing that, yada, yada. And that's cool, but there's no, there's no me in that. 
And so when I sit down at home and it's time to do hobby stuff, whether it's playing Dungeons and Dragons or, you know, working on a painting on my, you know, Wacom or whatever, that is where I can do, I can take me and put it into the world and have other people experience it. And I think that that's why I've gained such an interest in storytelling over time, because storytelling is, uh, it's, in my mind, it's the oldest shared, like, cultural form of expression that exists, right? I'm sure that people have been painting on cave walls probably longer than we've shared oral traditions like that, where we sit around a campfire or something like that. But I can't help but think that that development of speaking to each other and telling each other tales had to coincide. Like, the, a painting was made to tell a story, right? It was, or it was made to share some information. And ultimately, I view storytelling in that same kind of way that it's made to share something it's made to tell someone something whether or not it's you know nonfiction or fiction is ultimately pointless to what its original purpose was which was just to share information or to communicate something so i can't help but think that those two things came together in a sense whether or not we took you know berries and scribbled on a wall or we you know, spoke to each other in Uga Boogas first was, you know, I, I don't even think it matters. I think I, that was I, all I, part of storytelling. I would tend to agree. And and so I was gonna actually ask you this, but since we're on this thread, let's let's focus in on art because we I wanna I wanna get the I wanna understand what kind of expression right you're trying to go for. But before before we, we, we dig into that, I want to talk about storytelling. So you were you were sure. mentioning how when when, there, when you're going through this process of creating art, most, if not all of it, must be intentional. So there seems to be a lot to keep track of. So mm -hmm. using this particular medium of storytelling, like what are the mechanics that you've figured out or that you want to, I guess, leverage? And yeah, I guess what are the mechanics of you really getting those pieces together in a very intentional way. So like, what does that look like for you? So for me, uh, I think I've been working on it myself, trying to figure out exactly all the parts that make up storytelling and make it good storytelling. Uh, I spent, you know, time studying you know, other stories and things like that. But when it comes down to writing my own, I think it, there's always this idea that it's difficult to apply just everything that you've learned all at once. So I'm trying to build by, you know, just start small, tell whatever story in however way I can, and then I'll slowly try to build that up. But for me, I think the mechanics that I've noticed, or I guess if we want to put it that way, is one of the most important things is managing audience expectation, mm -hmm. right? Like ex what are, what is my audience expecting in this moment versus what can I give them? That, and you don't necessarily always need to try to subvert the expectations of your audience. Sometimes it's actually really useful to use their expectations to dance your way around having to explain something with long exposition or something like that, right? So if I were to show you a red apple, you would assume there it came from a tree, right? Like that's just stuff I don't need to explain to you. And that's obviously super rudimentary, but that idea persists throughout the much more complex narratives that we see, you know, stuff like, um, like Tokyo Ghoul and stuff like that, that uh, Alex and I really love to talk about, or uh, 
longer, more, uh, I guess, traditional stories like the Count of Monte Cristo and stuff like that, where the characters have these sort of interesting motivations and they just act on them, right? right. And I think that's that's something that it really helps with storytelling. And that's one of the mechanics I think is the most interesting to me is you can establish things at the beginning and then just let them play their course. If you've established them properly and you know the world that you're trying to build, you can just let them go and you'll eventually they'll interact with each other. And that's something I've really been exploring lately in my um, Dungeons and Dragons campaign, right? Where since I get to be the DM, I'm able to set up a world that I know, I know this entire world. And then I set pieces, just characters, and I knew what their motivations were. And I was saying, okay, this is what they're going to do. And when they decide what they do, sometimes they interact, sometimes they don't. And the players are going through that story. And for me, what makes that so interesting and so captivating is that they share in this story, but that means they kind of get to be my audience and help me to tell the story at the same time. It's this double double existence for the players and for the DM. Uh, and so I've been able to kind of take that idea of just creating pieces that know where they're going, but I don't necessarily know what's going to happen next. And I think that makes for an ultimately very interesting story. I, I know where I want it to go, right? I know where I would like the story to end up, but ultimately how it gets there is probably the most important and interesting part. And so that's something I think is uh, a, a recent revelation for me. Yeah, that's super fascinating. I just imagine you, you just give these, it's, it's, it's almost like you're giving them these constraints and you just like say, you know, do, 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 yeah. what you do and here's the general direction of how to get there. And the thing that I'm thinking about is how do you, how do you fill in the gap, right? Are you drawing from your own experience? Are you drawing from the experience of things that you've seen? Are you using like logical rules? Like I know that your motivation, here's what you do in this situation. Or like, how, how, how do you put them into a situation where they even have a decision to make? So I think for me, there's definitely a larger part of that logic-based system. I like to think of it um, like there's uh, an online application or something where you can model the universe, you know, or whatever, right? And you can give it these starting parameters and then you just watch it go, right? Mm -hmm. Because for me... And this this is going to sound super egotistical, but being a storyteller is a lot like being a god, right? Or being becoming god of whatever that universe is. But in my mind, the way that these gods operate is they they start something and then they just watch it go. Right? They just let it happen. Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Now, if you were amazing you know what's going to happen because you're able to predict exactly based on all the parameters that you already set up but for someone you know diminutive like myself who doesn't know everything i just watch it happen and become amazed and as i continue to do that more and more i've built up this ability to predict and sort of this ability to say okay if this was the intention then this would follow right so if i say this character wants to protect their people Right. And then I've got this other character over here whose goal is to, I don't know, reach ascension or something. I don't know. We're making up stuff. Yeah. And this person, the person who wants to reach ascension has decided that in order to reach ascension, 
they will need these things. And that's something I know, what they need to actually reach that goal. So they look into how they reach that goal and then they discover those pieces. And as they discover those pieces, they would learn that, oh, that means I'm going to have to interact with these people to get it. Mm. And so they go to interact with those people, but those people, it's their job to protect those things because that's how I've set them up. Mm. So I, you can place pieces into a space where they'll naturally conflict with each other just because of their own motivations. And so like the characters in my game, their desire is to return home. Right. And what's going on in the story the conflict that's happening is that there are forces that outside of their knowledge and outside of their control that don't want them to go back home right now. Right. Mm -hmm. They want them there for whatever reason. And that naturally creates conflict, right? Like just the desire, the pure desires that anyone has that are going to enable themselves throughout a story. That's super fascinating. I've actually never thought of it this way. If, if I'm, if I'm just to like try to summarize or like put my spin on it, it mm -hmm. would be, okay, we have all of these, these components that each have their dynamics. Right now we're just talking about characters, but you can actually talk about the world itself, the specific yep. setting. Perhaps you have, uh, you know, several characters that have their intentions, but you also have a war going on in the background or something, mm -hmm. right? If you draw out the logical, like if you just very logically and mechanically Mm -hmm. say okay this is this person's intention here's where they're, they're gonna go here's this yep. person's intention here's where they're gonna go and here's yep. the world's intention here's where it's gonna go the sum of the parts becomes we'll not logical anymore mm -hmm. especially if you withhold certain pieces of information and i think that's yep. where the intention lies right i don't know that that force is opposing me and as you as the the audience don't know that either and that's what there's there's some intrigue there's some some interesting dynamics happening to you right yes because you're missing like half of the equation because you don't know the other forces you don't know the other and like you can't know if you don't know the forces you can't know their intent right yeah, that's and awesome. yeah so for me that was something i learned probably mostly from reading one piece as much as that sounds might sound strange the world that like the the author hero oda has built is massive there's so many moving parts and i used to think how did he craft this whole narrative this is crazy how do all these characters show up at these times just at the right moment for this stuff to interact and what i realized was he gave all those people and the world and everything around it its own motivations right mm -hmm. and they just intersect and where they intersect where my path crosses yours that's where stories are told Wow. And that's beautiful. That really that's what is. makes me so excited about it, right? Because, like, think about that. That's how it works in real life, too. Yeah. Like, if, if I meet you, suddenly there's a story to tell, right? Like, I'm not telling a story about me sitting in, like, in my room, right? Uh -huh. That can happen, but that's an intersection with the world, not with you. And that's why, like, there's this, like, man versus nature versus man versus man versus man versus yada yada. Because those intersections are where stories happen, right? There's no story if there's no intersection of those forces. And that's how I like to think about it. And when I started to really think about it that way, it expanded the, my understanding of how you can tell a story and what it really means to even share a story with other people. Wow. Do you know something that this is like an, sort of an extension of this? You're saying there's an, an intersection of forces, of individuals, of setting, and that leads to story, right? 
I think one thing that some of my, my favorite shows do is that they sort of dissect the downtime when there are no other forces, but you're an individual character. Mm-hmm. And now the, the forces are in here, right? Yeah. In your head. It's just like, let me either process the things I've encountered that the audience has also, also encountered and see mm-hmm. how I digest that. And that allows you to maybe even slowly reveal more of my motivations or see the, see the change happening in my motivations. Yeah. That's, that's, but that's where the, the, the whole man versus self comes from, right? Like that's that like idea where you need to introspect or like to learn something from yourself. And that is useful for engaging your audience and not only engaging them, but for um, what's the word I'm trying to, I'm looking for here for making yourself more relatable or making the character that you're showing more relatable to the audience. Because if you can show an internal dialogue or, and not, not necessarily through exposition either, but just if you can show that to the audience and they can experience it, if they were thinking the same thing or if they were feeling the same thing, all of a sudden they are caught up in this character because that character becomes them, right? Like, or they, at least on that surface level, they have related and attached themselves. Now they're wondering, how would I handle this situation if I was in that space, right? If my family just got murdered brutally or whatever, and I knew that I could get revenge if I took this contract with this whatever supernatural force, because that's a classic story plot, right? Now, all of a sudden, it's not just this guy's doing awesome stuff and he's a badass. Now it's, I think, could I do that awesome stuff? Mm. Would I do that awesome stuff? And when you start to dangle those kinds of questions in front of people, I think that's what gets them more interested. And and for me, anyway, I think that stuff is always going to be more interesting than me just showing some cool dude doing cool things. All right. So here's the question is, as the author, as the god of this universe, do sure. you ever get to live live that experience? Right. You're saying part of what the audience does is they become they become your characters, but do you as the creator get to experience the same or is it completely selfless? Yeah, you know, in my mind, I never get to be the characters. I never get to become a part of them. In fact, it's important, I think, for me to not, right? Because as much as I know about the characters and like understand the characters, uh, hopefully more than they potentially understand themselves, I think that if I start to attach myself to them, I'm going to push the story because I am their quote unquote God or creator of this universe. Right. Uh, If I start to attach myself to them, I will influence the world in their, on their behalf. Hmm. Because naturally, why would I want anything bad to happen to me? Right. Right, (laughs) right. Because that's just natural. Right. I don't want to sit here and think that that, that means there's none of me in the characters because in actuality, all the characters I think that I've created that are the best are characters that have parts of me in them because those are things I are already understand, or at least better than I understand, you know, other people, right? So maybe I'll create a character and give part of them uh, my desire for children, right? And like manifest that in them very strongly so that they're, they care about little children, they care about kids, and they have a family and that like is really important to them. So that way, when I take it away from them, it matters to me as the person who made it, but I understand why it matters to them. And that lets me inform their direction and motivation and intention better because I already understand it, right? right. Um, or 
if I'm like this person, I don't know, really hates being isolated, like completely alone, right? Like that, okay, now I understand that. What would you do in that position then? I don't have to ask other people because I know what I would do, right? And I think that's what makes storytelling interesting and what makes it important that there is always many storytellers because I only ever will have my own perspective. There's many other things that are gonna not ever be important to me, right? But they're important to other people and they can show me why it's important to them through their characters and mm. stuff like that. So I think that that, as much as I would like to attach myself to these characters and live vicariously through them and get all these hype experiences, I don't think that's ever a good thing. I think it's very interesting though, because this definitely ties it back to what you were saying about art, right? Art is your form of self-expression. And what you yeah. do is literally, you are taking components of your identity and letting mm-hmm. them live through and like, like live through characters and experiences that they're having, but the audience is being, you're becoming those characters, right? So mm-hmm. in, in that way, you're sharing who you are. It's just like yes. fascinating. Yeah. Like if, if you were to analyze closely, I think most pieces of art carry a part of who that person is. When I was um, in high school, I used to think about uh, like I used to draw a lot, like a lot of portraits of people's faces. And I used to always think about how if I really sat down and put a lot of hours into it, it was a part of that was a little bit of my soul in that in that piece. I used to think about that constantly. And I think that idea really stuck with me. And I don't necessarily word it that way anymore, but it, that there's always going to be a part of you in whatever you make. And that's the difference between that art, that self-expression versus that design, that empathic creation for others, right? And because I don't write a story for other people, it's to communicate something about me. I want other people to understand me. So I write a story that perhaps can help. Right, right. right. So one thing that is just ringing my head right now is, uh, you know, how does, this, this is like a very interesting outlook because it helps you to sort of bring experience to others. But mm-hmm. how, how does knowing these mechanics or being aware of this influence your decisions like IRL, like in real life, you know? Because what you said is very fascinating. The intersection of individuals is where story happens. The downtime is where the self, that kind of conflict happens. Most Mm -hmm. stories are based on experiences that occur in legitimate world, right? Mm -hmm. So how how does that affect your, I guess, your your basically your view on your actions in in real life? So I've always been the kind of person that has... um... Like maybe maybe a double conscious is the wrong way to put it, but there's me on the surface who's talking to you right now. Then there's another me who is analyzing our conversation as we have it, right? And I think a lot of people are that way. I would argue that most people are that way. That makes sense, right? Um, but then for me, there's always been another thing going on in the background, right? The watcher who watches the one who watches, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that person is determining whether or not this is worth it or whether or not this is a valid or valuable experience, right? And I think that the way that influences the way that we have conversations and the way that I make my decisions is, for instance, if someone were to proposition me, Josh, hey, let's go hit a bar, right? Obviously, we're in COVID times, so that may not be uh, relevant at the moment. But if someone's like, Josh, let's go hit a bar, 
service me determines is that valuable to me like do i want to go to a bar like sure hanging out with friends could be cool right and then the other one who's watching that guy he's like "Mm, you know could be a good time could not be a good time you know we could think about the options here but on the far back end it's about do i actually care to create this experience with these people right and that's where i think ultimately all my decisions fall like fall right and i think maybe that happens to other people and maybe that happens to everyone as well but i'm just really aware of the fact that if i don't care then i probably shouldn't just shouldn't do it right so like maybe i'm just like you know what i don't actually care and of course i'm not going to say hey i don't care about your friendship or whatever to random people or to my friends or whatever because i care about their friendship but if i've determined that that experience isn't the the story I want to shape around myself because I think that's what it really falls to then mm. it's then I don't do it right so that's that's a very bottom up right I get a there's a decision to be made and I, I filter it through this process does it ever happen the opposite way where it's sort of top down where your your this third layer is saying you know I haven't developed in this certain way I need to have an experience yes make the make this thing happen right yes yes um and i would say a lot of my most selfish decisions have come from that probably <laughs> uh, interestingly enough yeah like oh i should uh i don't know i should go on a date with this girl not because i find her particularly interesting but because i just think it'd be a valuable experience mm. right or uh i should i don't know go to this event not because i care about what's going on there but because i know that that thing it will be good for me to talk about in the future, right? Like the fact that I was there, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like, I think what being aware of that, like part of myself has made me um, the kind of person who's just aware of what kind of person I really am, right? Like I'm aware that I am not a perfect human being. I'm aware that I'm not like, I don't think I'm particularly great even. <laughs> like, I think I'm okay. I think I'm a good person, but I don't think I'm great. And I don't think most people are, but I think there's that like third voice or whatever. For most people, I don't think realize that they are tricking themselves into believing they are great. But I think they think that that voice isn't themselves, if that makes any sense. Right? It feels like to me, most people experience that as an outsider. Right? It's not them. It's the outside. It's the FOMO. Right. Or it's the. um social pressure uh people want me to hang out and stuff like that when it's really just you have determined that the value of hanging out with them is more than what you get from not doing it right or you've determined that the story that you get out of it or the experience you get out of it is important enough to do something you don't want to do right but if you don't actually care you you could just not right and i think that a lot of people do stuff they don't care about because of that um, but it's made me the kind of person where if I don't want to do something, most of the time, I just won't. And I yeah. won't particularly care that other people are bothered by it either. I respect that. This, the, the one that comes to mind from, from, as like a sort of top down is Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is just from anecdotes that I've heard, right? He'll mm-hmm. literally knock at your house, like knock at your door, like two o'clock in the morning. And he's like, yo, let's do this. We're going to do some. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's. And, he, and his whole thing is he, he is like the storyteller. And I, yes. I love that because he is actively 
seeking out those experiences. He, he says, sometimes I'll do it for the sake of the story. Yes. Like, that's so powerful. That is. It's huge. It's huge. That means a lot more than I think people realize. Oh, yeah. You, you, I mean, you're, I guess uh, if you, if you had to elaborate, I have my take, but I'd like to hear your, your opinion about like, well, how is, how is it deeper just than face value? So the idea that you're doing something for the story, I think as it presents itself, it's, uh, I want to have fun or let's go make memories or whatever. Right. But it's not just about that. Right. The reason why I don't, I know that it's not just about that. It's because you share it with other people later. If it was just about the memories, it'd be good enough for you to just know that you did it, right? But you didn't go skinny dipping in the Arctic Ocean so that you couldn't tell people about it later, right? Mm -hmm. So what it is is that you have perceived that there's some higher value in being able to share the idea that you had this experience with other people, right? That it makes you look more interesting or that it makes you seem adventurous. You've determined on some level that you gain perceived value to others by having that experience. Mm. That, that's, that's a lot deeper than just, I just want to make memories. At least that's how I see it. Yeah, totally. Totally. Especially if you have yeah. a message you're trying to spread, right? That, that's that's mm -hmm. one, one way it could happen. Another one is just being heard. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's super, that's super fascinating. I heard that and I was just like, wow, what an absolute legend of a person. Yeah. <laughs> actual, I mean, there's a reason why I think people believe him to be a walking legend. It's, it's yeah. stuff like this. It's yeah. the, the, the raw humanity and understanding that sort of the depths of, of what he's doing. Yeah. I think he knows what he's doing on a very real introspective level that I don't think most people bother to get into. No. Wow. But that's what makes him, you know, great, right? <laughs> like, because it, it, it's relatable, right? It's 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 relatable on a level that you don't really understand unless you spend that time to really wrap yourself around who you are as a person, right? Because yeah. when Dave Chappelle just says anything, right? He just is like, oh, I'm gonna say like, I watched his most recent stand up on um, SNL, and he was talking about how Donald Donald Trump was saying whole bunch of really awful things during like his campaigning and stuff like that um and Dave Chappelle came along you know doing his skit and he was like he said a bunch of awful awful things but he's not supposed to say it I'm supposed to say it because it was funny right like that idea that to him he was just mad because he didn't get to say it at first right is it's so interesting to me that he would present that to people and we would all accept it, right? Because he was saying such horrible things, but reportedly some of the worst things ever, right? And to be fair, yes, I would agree. But that's, that's aside from the point. Um, but the fact that if Dave Chappelle were to have said it, I probably would have laughed, colors my understanding of who I am in a new way, right? That I'm okay with confronting. But I don't know that everyone is okay with confronting that kind of thing. Right, right. There, there, I mean, there is certainly a level of awareness that, that goes on behind being able to, to laugh at something like that or to, oh, yeah. to, to appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Wow. I think... I, go ahead. All right, well, I was just going to say, I think that um, increasingly, especially since like going through college and all that stuff, uh, I've become more and more accepting of just 
the idea that I am certainly not a good or rather a great person. I like to think I'm pretty good, but not great. But uh, that means that you have to accept the parts of you that you might consider to be bad or, you know, less than ideal, right? Uh, but I think that makes you more more realistic. It makes you a more not more realistic in your like outlook, but it just makes you a more real person, right? I think I I, I think ultimately my ideal is to become. I don't know how to put it other than just to become more human, mm. right? Like we I think TV and stuff like that has really destroyed like our basic understanding of what it means to be a person because every tv character is just an exaggerated single principle right they take this person's really klutzy or they're ultra dramatic or they just can't get their life together right like they, or they just don't know how to operate right and that just gets played up and so people have started to believe that that's what it means to be a person just having this one trait that everyone can call you on but being a human is ultimately the collection of all of the things that make you good and bad and deeply exploring all of those things i think is why i got into storytelling right i think that ultimately that's why right so i can explore every facet of what it means to be a person wow I think there's another component to that, like if you stretch it out in time. So, so that's like uh, the equivalent of stretching it out in space. Like here are all these components. For mm-hmm. me, the one I like to focus on is the dynamics. Mm-hmm. I am not the same person I was yesterday. I'm not the same. Per- I'm not going to be the same person a month from now. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm very open to that. And that's that. I think there's there's like a perceived um, lack of consistency. To, I think to truly experience all of those components to their fullest, you have to let them evolve. You have to let them play out. And you have to realize that some of them you shouldn't listen to. <laughs> some of them you really should. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I personally am very interested, especially in, in, in like this kind of construction, because I want to focus in on the ones that aren't the most impactful and the most forceful. Because... I just want to know why that is the case, right? Why, why am I risk averse in this particular context? Mm-hmm. Like, what, are the, what are the true reasons for that? And for the most part, I, ha- I believe it has to do with uh, perception. It has to do with not, not my perception of self, but my perception of self colored by the perception of others onto me, right? Mm-hmm. There's this weird. How you think of, others view you. Right. Because they can very much, dictate every single one of those uh you know the components that you were talking about mm-hmm. if you th- if if your entire friend group and your entire family thinks that your decision to do such thing is stupid you're probably not going to end up wanting to do it or being compelled to unless you really are right and the converse yes. is that if you have the right community supporting you the the thing that wouldn't have made it over the edge you know proverbially right is going to make it over the edge and you're going to do it yeah and that's why i think your your outlook with this third voice it's it's not just is this going to be important for the story it's like is this important for my development as a human person like you want to experience all of these parts of life Mm -hmm. really pay attention to the ones that aren't being expressed right yeah because they're not they're not they don't have a chance yeah, they're going to just get shunted down by all the things that majorly drive you, I guess, right? 
it could it could be so i think one of the things i learned about that really bothers me is so i think just psychologically speaking we are more predisposed to be driven by fear than uh i guess gain or whatever the opposite of fear is that's a deep conversation in and of itself you know? yeah but but it, it's just like yeah that's enough that's enough to uh to not to not experience those things and, and one of the things that you can do in the narrative that you're constructing is perhaps take one of those smaller components those components that wouldn't be otherwise expressed and just see how it plays out and maybe that gives you an indication that maybe that's something I should really pay attention to and follow. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's like that compelling, there's like that compelling thing. And I guess that was really the question before where it was like, do you live through the characters as a, as the creator of the world? You, you said no, but it's just, it's interesting at least to see that part of you play out. Right. Yeah. And that sure. will influence maybe how you, I don't know, make a decision in the future. Well, uh, what I would say is it actually influences how I behave in real life, right? So I say I have thought about how I would react, how this part of me rather would react in this situation. And then in the real world where I come across something similar or adjacent, or maybe it's the exact same thing. Now I've thought about how I will react already, right? Mm -hmm. And it kind of prepares me in a way to say, okay, now did I like the way that I thought I would react? Or do I want to change it, right? And I think that's ultimately, so like you were talking about that dynamicism of like, not only just of space of the components, but of time across time. And I think for me, this like constant idea of change is important in the, in the sense that I want to continue to grow like all the time. Uh, in my mind, I will never become some perfect person, right? Like ever. And that like it but i think it's right for a person to pursue that i think you should actively pursue not necessarily perfection but become an an ideal form of what you think is the best version of yourself right but you can't even begin to discuss that or know where that's going until you accept whatever the self is at the time right but once you do you can say okay now do i like it and if the answer is no you have the power to change it Right. I think that's the most beautiful thing about the human experience. If there's something about you you don't like, you can just change it. Right. If I don't like that I'm lazy and don't wake up in the mornings, I could just start waking up in the mornings. Right. It's either wake, start waking up in the mornings or I don't dislike it as much as I'm pretending that I, that I don't like it. Right. And that's the thing that I think is hard for it was hard. It's hard for me and it's hard for everyone to confront, accepting that there's parts of you that you don't actually like and you're just living with it. Right. <laughs> like you're, yeah. you're just living with it. You're pretending you like, oh, this is OK, whatever. I'll do better the next time. But like, just change it. Just do better. Right. And it, uh, that's that's harsh. Right. But I think that. I can hold up the world to those standards because I will also hold myself to those standards. Right. So yeah. if I decide, if I determine that I'm being a piece of crap, then I'm just like, Josh, you're being a piece of crap. Right. And I just accept that reprimandation of myself. I don't think reprimandation is a word, but whatever. <laughs> wow. So I think that ultimately it, that that's that second and third voices job it's to be pointing out those things where josh you don't actually like this so do better 
right? Like grow, change, evolve, adapt, become the, that ideal that you've sort of built up in your mind, right? Because I think most people can envision themselves great, but they don't necessarily envision the steps between who they are and that ideal version. But that's what I think, that's what character growth is. That's what growth is as a person. And that character growth, that's the best story. That's always the best story. And is it, do you think it's because it gives you hope as the, the audience? Absolutely. Right. Because again, you can place yourself into that person because you can see their flaws and relate to them. And then you watch them grow and you say, well, if they can grow, I can grow. And that maybe that story even helps you to grow a little. Right. Right. And ultimately, I don't think I'm writing anything to try and help people become better people. Right. I'm just doing it for me. Right. Like I'm trying to like understand who I am and perhaps share who I am with you so that maybe you think I'm interesting. Right. But ultimately, it's about helping myself become this ideal version that I have envisioned. Right. 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 Exactly. Wow. Yeah. It's a personal thing. It's always going to be a highly personal experience. So then. So the thing the thing I get about what you're working on and we really haven't talked about like what you're doing professionally, but it is somehow really trying to develop this, this overall skill this overall skill of exploring yourself in that way, right? You said yes. with design, you you still try to, but the the objective is not, like the end goal is not to express yourself, it is to get this, um, how, how did you put it? You have to... It's, it's like empathic. It's more about right. like giving things, for, it's creating something for others. Right. So then, like, where are you headed? <sighs> Big questions. <laughs> so... To put it in a rather juvenile way, I would just like to be, I would like for people to remember me, right? I think, I think that's what I, I think ultimately my goal is to be remembered. And I I think I spent a lot of time, especially in my like early years, um, exploring a way for people to remember me, right? Like what would I be effective enough at that people would remember it? Um, and I think, so I think that I've been pursuing it long enough that I've just settled on the idea that everything I ever explored ultimately came down to the basic concept of storytelling, right? It came down to like, oh, I wanted to draw or I wanted to paint or I wanted to, I don't know, run track and earn medals or I wanted to get, um, and get huge awards at school or something like that. Ultimately, all those things were so that I could be remembered, right? but also so that I can advance my own personal goals to achieve this idea of becoming a, a master storyteller, right? Because like the, the best way in, in my mind to tell a good story is to experience one properly first, or at least not necessarily personally, but you just need to experience a good story, I think, right? You can read a good book, you can, I don't know, go through something tragic. You can see a, a, a beautiful poem. You can experience like standing in front of an amazing painting, but you need to experience a good story so that you know what a good story is. And I think a lot of my life was spent exploring that idea through different mediums, right? Where I, where I first started, I was, I think seven when I first started drawing a lot. 
And I started off pretty garbage, as one would expect. And then over time, I got to what I thought was pretty okay. Uh, looking back, I'm like, okay, it could have been better. But I thought where I was was pretty good, right? I did the same thing with video games as a kid. I started playing video games when I was three. Played them a lot. Wasn't very good at all. Then one day I hit, like, it was 12 years of time, right? Which is why I think how long it'll take is always something that I'm really aware of. 12 years of time, right, of my brother being better than me at, what, Smash Brothers, right? He would just beat me all the time. I was three. He would just beat me just un unreservedly, right? I never earned, I never got a game against my brother that I didn't earn, right? And when I finally hit 15, I, like, it clicked, right? I was like, okay, I get this now and I started beating him all the time it was great right it was merciless beating after that right it was awesome <laughs> and what I realized was that that in itself is a story right like that is an experience that I don't necessarily share with other people but is something that I think everyone can relate to you worked on something and over time you got better at it and I think that's one of the most common stories there are right but it's one of the most human ones for me, right? And I think yeah. being able to experience that in multiple ways with various mediums, you know, I've tried animation, I've tried uh, 2D and 3D, I've tried painting, I've tried drawing, I've tried writing, I've tried acting, um, like doing all these various forms of expression has led me to realize that they are all, they all share something in common and that's when I realized it was just the idea that a story was being told. So then you basically distill the storytelling component from all of those and say that it's the thing that I'm really after. Yes. And that's what it, that's what it's really come down to. The thing I'm after that I've decided to call storytelling is that, and I don't really know if that's even something I can communicate. Right. But it's something I hope to communicate when I do tell stories. Right. Right. I hope to get that out there. Um, and maybe that's that's the motivation, right? Maybe I'm even clearing that up as I have this discussion with you, which happens all the time, right? Like having this kind of discussion helps me to understand my own motivations more. And it's even more so than about getting other people to understand me or expressing these parts of myself. It's about getting to that essence of, of something, right? And then putting it out there in the world. Right. I think there's something about the last thing you just said, right? Putting it out in the world, the fact that it's not living in here anymore, but you're communicating it to me, right? There's, there's like an evolution and development of that concept that happens in our communication. Mm -hmm. So that, 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 that's like completely like, it's, it's super valuable and it, yeah. and it might only happen, which is the beauty when you experience it with other people, right? Because how many times have you had an idea live in your head and you express it and it's just like, what, what was that thing? Like, how, wh where did that come from? Or was I really thinking about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, isn't that, that feels like it's a part of whatever the essence of this thing is to me, right? Like that, mm -hmm. like this conversation even feels like it's a part of that, idea that I'm calling storytelling, right? Like this idea that it evolved in this conversation. It's a part of it. It's a, it's something significant to this human experience that I can't put into words, but maybe if I take these different medium and put it together, 
I can communicate it. You know what yeah. I mean? You know what? So my my take on just based on my conversation and based on you know I've I've had several experiences with you. Do you remember the day when JP? I believe I don't know if it was his birthday, but it was like one of the last days JP was supposed to be here. In yeah, it was like a going away party for JP. Yeah, you had, yeah. You had a, a mini speech that you gave during that time, mm-hmm. and the way you demanded attention and the way you presented your thoughts about how you felt, you know, about your really close friend, there was something, there was like a true power to that. It was, it was powerful enough for me to have remembered it. Right. It's like, I was just a part of the audience. And I just thought to myself that, 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 that skill, like whatever he's doing, that, that, that's something that, that a lot of people either don't have or have not practiced add enough mm. right this is something truly special well that makes so, me feel nice <laughs> but so, so i like i very i very much remember this and and one of the most they want this is actually something i'm like looking into now but i'll get to the point and it's that the medium of just language and speaking this mm-hmm. i believe you have that locked down so well and I'm, I believe that's what you have to do in D&D, if I'm not wrong, right? It's basically yeah. spoken, right? Yes, yes. So going, I mean, if we if we stick thematically to what you've done, right? You've tried all these mediums, media, and you've compressed it down to, I'm interested in storytelling. I feel like in a similar way, if you kind of compress everything down to what is like the most fundamental thing that we can do to communicate, it's it's this. It's this. Yeah this thing that makes us uniquely human. It's this ability to literally go from like this idea in my head to this sound that's coming out of my mouth into your brain. Yeah. Right? And, and it's evolved in such a way that you cannot do, do it without other people. Yes. Right. So there must be an audience. There is no story without an audience. Yes. And that is so important. And that's like, I think you were already getting at that earlier when you were like talking about how like me sharing this with you is a part of that right like there's maybe the, maybe storytelling isn't the right thing to call whatever the essence of this is right maybe it's just i don't know communication or maybe it's just like audience right maybe that like idea that like there are others to listen right Mm-hmm. is the most important fundamental thing about this, right? But regardless, to to sort of command that 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 power, that skill that humans have, it is absolutely required, right? Like there's no, none of that's happening without it, right? Certainly, and you have this. So what I, what I personally say is you could take that to the, even the next level. Like the slow incremental progress to get to where you were for me would take so long and you're already there. So I wonder if not, if not a group of like 10 people, what it would look like if you were speaking to a group of like 100,000. And the beauty of even like what, where this is going to go is that it's on Spotify, right? That's millions, millions Ooh. of people. Yeah, right? yeah. So I just think the tools are there. Yes. Like you, you, I mean, and very much I'm, I'm talking about the tools that you have as well, right? They are there. And part of the evolution, I believe, cannot happen unless you have that force, that, 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 that uh, interaction with, with other people, 
right? And that interaction can look like putting putting your stuff out there and just seeing seeing how the cards or I don't know what the expression is. There's some like really nice idiom here. Where the cards fall, I think. Yeah, where the cards fall. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, no, I agree, right? I think that I ultimately I do need to like share it and interact with other people, right? Um, as far as people have told me in the past is they do think that I'm like, that I'm good with speaking, right? And it feels like a little bit now that we're talking about me feeling good at speaking, that I'm going to just stumble over everything I say from now on, right? (laughs) But because that's just natural. And anyone who listens to this podcast is going to be like, wow, this guy's an awful speaker. What are you talking about? (laughs) But, you know, I think that there's always been a part of me that really enjoys this idea of kind of communicating to a larger crowd, right? That's why when I, I think I started acting in fifth grade, uh, I was in theater then, and then I started being involved in other productions and stuff. And it, there was this, I don't want to call it exhilarating or some rush, like I'm some sort of, I don't know, attention junkie or something like that. Cause I don't think that's what it is at all. <laughs> you're, you're buzz. I, I don't substantiate. I think sure. substantiating takes away from what you're trying to say. Sure. You're right. You're right. Don't substantiate. Be yourself. Just, just hit me with it. I'm not, there's no judgment. There was a beauty in standing in front of a crowd and commanding their attention. I think that is always there. And I don't know that everyone feels that way. Actually, I'm certain that most people don't. A lot of people are afraid of crowds speaking in front of them. The idea scares them. But that fear that I feel when I stand in front of a crowd it's nothing compared to the idea that they will hang on every word that I say. The idea that I can use nothing but sheer force of will to communicate something to many people all at once is amazing to me. I can't even think of a better word right now. It's awe-inspiring. It's just one of the most fantastic things I can think of, right? The idea that I can wrap you up in just the words that I'm saying. I could be talking about how the, I don't know, the forces of nature are dancing around you, right? I could be describing to you a beautiful forest full of frolicking elves and little fairies and all this kinds of stuff, right? But regardless of what I'm saying, because I don't actually think that matters. I think that there is something intrinsic in the way that a person can speak to you the tone, their inflection, the way they carry themselves that will make you invested in what they're saying. And we call that charisma. But I don't know that that's all there is to it because I've met a lot of charismatic people who I don't want to talk to, right? There's something about this force of will that will make others listen. And maybe that's charisma. Maybe it's, I don't know, leadership. Maybe it's just being awesome (laughs) who knows but there's something about experiencing that and feeling like i have that that i can't let go of right as much as i was when i was younger i was like i'm gonna become an engineer and i was just gonna leave behind all the like art and stuff that i had kind of grown to love over time when i heard about design which was a fusion of that art that i loved and my like what I felt was a more logic-based thinking 
when I realized that those two things could come together and that's what design was, I was this is it. Th this right here, this is going to be it. And what I found when I got into design was that a lot of what designers care about is not making cool products because that's what product design is, right? Making this like super hype bottle that your audience can't see because this is a podcast <laughs> is something that a product designer does, right? But more important to a designer, any designer is storytelling. And when I, when I, when I heard someone actually say storytelling, I realized there was no way for me to get away from the idea behind this, right? Because I would always have to present my ideas to someone, right? And the best way to sell someone something is to set up your product, your brand, your idea as the hero of a story. There's a problem, that's the conflict. Your idea, the solution is the hero of that story, right? And that's what we sell to people. That's why I'm always talking to you guys about how no one ever buys a product anymore. You buy the experience of the product instead. Because when you walk into a store, you've already decided. I'm gonna, I need a new mouse today. So I'm going to go to the store. You've already decided to buy a mouse. So the mouse you pick is based on the experience of purchasing the mouse right? or owning the mouse. It's which one sold me the story of that mouse much more than it is which one is the coolest, right? Right. Because you look at it and you're like, oh, this one's got this hype driver, this, and it's got this levels of sensitivities and it's ergonomic, this. But ultimately, there are plenty of mice that will do exactly the same thing, right? right. The market is, you can't compete in a saturated market with better specs. That's just not going to work, right? If you're in a very limited market, like a video game console market, sure. <laughs> but in the world of literally everything else, that just doesn't fly. So instead, you sell people the story, right? Why does everyone want to have an iPhone, right? There's an idea behind owning Apple's products that they have built carefully, intentionally over time. And that's a part of it. That's, that's what being a great storyteller is really about, right? Wow. That's, that's wonderfully put. And I think it's, they have tapped into something super compelling mm -hmm. to sell their product, right? Yes. That's, that's, at the end of the day, that's what it is. One thing that really strikes, striked me, struck me, that's the right word, uh, about what you were saying before when you were kind of painting this image of, in my head of you in front of this giant audience in like a like sold out theater, right, was they are captivated and they can feel this. You were talking about charisma. I actually read something about this and it was saying how the unconscious mind, this is theories, right? The unconscious mm -hmm. mind is able to tell when the person speaking to you really means and believes in what they have said. And I think part of that is deeply rooted in what you were talking about before, which was I need to go experience the stories before I can tell them, mm -hmm. right? But it's there. Like even when you were saying it over this this conversation, I saw I saw the image that you were painting. Right? It's, it's about it's about that. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's totally about that. And and so you you you've kind of taken me through how you're expressing that in design. You you're you've taken me through how you you're doing that with your D and D group. It's very much what you're doing with your anime, right? 
the analysis that you guys have it's, it's like inspired me to, to to start watching and become become part of that group as well yeah so it's always going to be about that yeah so does it is there a point at where like is there a, a tipping point for you where it becomes solely about that or is it going to live on in this sort of just uh, meta kind of meta way I guess I don't know um I guess I, I guess I would need to think about when you say when it's solely about that what that even means right like do I just give up on everything else and just literally go sit on like sit in an amphitheater in a park and start just talking and see if I can get people to listen right do I just let it all go and just go out there and just try to compel others to what end I don't know right but just to just do it right or does that is that meta part of it always going to become is, is it always going to be a part of who I am I think that I think knowledge of of this of this part of me and of, of this experience and of enjoying that is always going to be a part of everything I do right I think that there's always going to be a part of me that loves sharing whatever with other people when we have to give presentations or when I need to talk to the rest of my, like my team at work or whatever, there's a part of me that is always like, yes, you are all listening to me and hear me when I explain this thing to you, right? This, I'm going to share a part of why this is what I know. Right. And that's just because I'm at work. Right. It's not always, let me tell you everything about how I know this thing. But regardless, it's always, yes, this is my moment to speak to the crowd, right? Mm. Because the people I'm talking to, everyone is my superior, pretty much, right? Like everyone is the owner or my boss or my other boss or the project coordinator above me or whoever, right? Or the people in charge of production and stuff like that. I'm always talking to those people only at my work, right? So usually my position is to listen to them and then execute, right? But when it comes to a meeting and they're like, okay, how are we gonna get this done? Josh, is this possible? They are asking me for something, right? And now I get to sit in front of them and say, here's how it's possible. Here's how I'm gonna get it done. This is why you can trust in what I'm saying. And then they believe me. And I think that's a part of it, right? That compulsion, me, it makes me feel like what I said to them was compelling, right? Because they heard and understood and believed it, right? And I yeah. think that's, there's always going to be power in that. Certainly. I mean, the, the, the construction that you just proposed was there is a true objective here, right? There is an intention behind this particular meeting. But in, in a way, the storytelling becomes a means to that end, right? Mm -hmm. I guess the, the, to reformulate the question I posed earlier was, is there a point that you look you look at in your future where storytelling is not the means, but it, it is the end, right? It is it is step zero, step one, step two, step three. It is not for, for I mean, there's definitely a purpose behind it, but it is not sort of a component to something else. It is the, the whole. I think so. I think so, actually. And I've thought about that day, but I've always considered it like I was 60, 70 years old and I'd finally mastered the art of storytelling or whatever, right? And I think that in, in my mind, I have set aside, I have set aside an idea for one story, right? 
one story that I think has the potential to be the greatest story or the best story I could ever tell, right? And I've taken that story and I've set it aside. And I, my plan is to work on every other story idea that I've ever had, right? Just telling as many stories as possible, understanding the many facets involved and really getting down into the nitty gritty of building myself as a storyteller, right? And then when I've hit that point, right? Which is, I think that point you're talking about where storyteller becomes the end all be all. I go back to that story and I say, now it's time to tell this story. And then I tell it and then I'm done. Right. Wow. For me, I'm the kind of person that can and will be satisfied. Right. Once I reach a goal, I'm not like, oh no, I'm lost. I'm happy. I'm satisfied. Right. Like as stupid as this is going to sound, I used to play League of Legends a lot, like a ton. Right. And I determined at the beginning of playing League of Legends, if I can make it to platinum rank, I will have been good enough at this game to be satisfied, right? To not have to worry about ever being able to say that I wasn't good. I was good at the game. I wasn't great. I wasn't a master. I wasn't a pro, but I was good at the game, right? And that's all I wanted to be able to say because the game presented to me as difficult. Like when I first interacted with it, I was like, wow, it takes a lot to be good at this game. So I determined I needed to prove that I was good at it. Not to anyone else, just to me. And I spent, what, four, five years playing the game before I reached platinum rank. But the day I did, I put my hands up, said, all right, I'm done. And I was satisfied. Mm. I have never played a ranked game of League of Legends since. And that is how I will likely treat storytelling, right? I will likely tell as many stories as I can in my efforts to reach this goal and once I feel I'm good enough, I'll tell that last story and then I'll be done. Wow. And that'll be it. That's all. That's, 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 to me, that's beautiful. Because I think, you should, I think things need an end. Right. And it, that, that's very poetic. That's <laughs> superbly poetic. <laughs> that's storytelling, right? Like stories aren't good until they, or, I won't say stories aren't good until they end, but they aren't great until they end. Hmm. Right. Like, because the ending can change everything. But once you put that little bow on it, it's done. That's the end of the story. And there's value in that. And that's that's why stories are like a lot like what it is to experience like being in person. Right. Because what makes life so valuable is that it does end. Right. Like we experience 70, 80, 90 you know, crazy amount of years, and then it ends, right? You only get to do what you did in that time, and then it's over. We don't know what happens afterwards. That's a different conversation entirely. (laughs) Regardless of that, this human experience is all we have to share with each other, right? right? And so if I'm, you know, 60 or whatever, and I'm still telling stories, and I don't feel like I've reached that point yet, then I'm still going, right? But one day, and I do firmly believe it, I will feel as if I have reached the level to tell the story that I want to tell. And when I tell that story, I'll be done. And there will be an end. It will be the end of Josh as a storyteller. It will be the end of that story. And 
it could very well be the end of me, right? Like people just don't worry about me anymore after that, right? But like I said to you earlier, I want to be remembered, right? I, I want to share those things with people such that they remember me. So I'm hoping that after I tell that last story, the, the hopefully the greatest story I can ever tell, right? People remember that. And maybe I'm that's some foe looking for immortality, or maybe I'm looking at that as some sort of, so, uh, I don't know, egotism, but I don't care, right? Like, that's what I want. I want other people to remember who I was because I thought about it one day when I was a kid. I thought about how many people die and no one knows who they were. And to me, that's not bad, but it would be a lot better if they did know who I was. Wow. Think about it. Like all these stories, these myths, these legends, right? Ragnar, uh, freaking uh, Hercules, you know, like all these people that have existed or not existed, right? That there are legends about, right? That there are stories about, that there are great tales about, right? Those people are remembered for the rest of human existence, right? When the Spartans, when the 300 Spartans fought the, the titular battle of, of uh, 300, right? Like, like <laughs> when they fought that battle, they were heroes and that they would be remembered by their people. They didn't know they would be remembered by all of humanity for the rest of their lives, right? That's huge, right? I want to be King Leonidas. Mm. That's, and I think that people might look at that weirdly, but I think that it is the most human thing to do. You know, to try and become that. I think otherwise you're tricking yourself. I agree. I actually very much agree. I'm a simple man. I like to think. <laughs> it just manifests itself in complicated ways. Yeah. <laughs> it might be roundabout, but that's the way a person gets remembered today, you know? Yeah. Wow. I could, I could, I don't know, I could have joined the military and maybe I would have done a lot of great service there, you know, depending on your perspective. And maybe our enemies would have remembered me as a ruthless killer and my allies would have remembered me as a hero, right? right. But even then, only those people remembered me. But I want to reach the world. I want to reach the planet. That's what I want. That's, that's mad respect. I think you know what you want. I do. That's just, uh, that's step zero. I don't think uh, a lot of people have gotten to step zero. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of um, pushback against having ambition in society. Why is that? I'm not sure. I think because having a lot of ambition makes other people feel like, it, may, it makes them measure their own ambition. And some people aren't comfortable with realizing that their ambition isn't as big as others. Right. Some people are super fine with it. They're like, yeah, that's cool. Right. And I, I'm, I like those kinds of people. I like the kinds of people that understand where they are and what they want. And they're just fine with accepting that other people want different things. So I, I just want to make a, a quick comment. Uh, sure. as, as you're speaking about this grand ambition, the, the light of the sun is literally forming a halo around your head. Right in your window. You can probably see it from your from your little box. 
Oh I'm man. just sending mid conversation. Yeah, I think way. you're actually willing this into reality. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Who knows, man? Who I knows? do believe like, though that you, this uh, this whole manifestation of ambition is somehow is somehow looked down upon, and I think that's quite unfortunate because for great things to happen, there must be ambition. One of the key yeah. things to ambition, though, that I've learned is there must be sacrifice. Yes, you're talking about sacrifice of the self, and that is the one of the biggest forms of sacrifice. Right? But it's one of the things you have the most access to sacrificing. Very true. Very true. It's it's also probably the most the most accepted form yeah. of sacrifice. It's honestly lauded, championed, even you know people people look up to those who can swear self sacrificing, and. I'm just being self-sacrificing for my own purposes. <laughs> right. Right, right, you know? right. I mean, it's still self-sacrifice. Sure. Wow. And it's, so what, I, what I've realized is there's going to be, I, I ultimately had to become a kind of the kind of person that's really comfortable with sharing who they are and like being exposed to other people. Right. Right. Um, because my method for reaching this storytelling greatness is inherently involved with me sharing who I am with the world around me, right? Little bits and pieces of who I am. So I just had to become the kind of person that is okay with you knowing whatever about me, right? Now, I'm always going to be a bit secretive, a bit mysterious or whatever, Mm. uh, inscrutable, if you will. But I think that ultimately a lot of me is pretty open. You, all you have to do is just ask the right questions, right? Yeah. I think that's what makes you an interesting person. You take in what a person's saying, analyze it, and then you ask a deeper question afterwards. You you, you dig deeper, right? You're a storyteller too, Mo. <laughs> You're one of my people. <laughs> uh, it's just, so, uh, were you going to say something? No, no. Yeah, you're one of my people. Go for it. Um, I relate to you on the most visceral sort of deep level when you said when you were a child you asked yourself why people aren't remembered uh, this is something I asked myself as a child the same question as well I didn't actually I think may, maybe I've known this about you but I just I don't know if you've known this about me and no. specifically for me it led to a lot of anger a lot of anger and anger has been my sort of vehicle for proceeding and it wasn't until quite recently that I had to let go of that anger and uh, start to actually take actions to become remembered yeah right for me the person I absolutely despised hearing about was Newton I remember being in grade school Mm -hmm. being told about Newton and I was like why are we worshiping this guy who is this guy (laughs) <laughs> what, what what about me right and maybe it was because i just didn't have enough uh you know attention given to me as a child whatever it was right there are things that manifest themselves in a very particular way to where i absolutely could not stand it and it was my mission to prove to the world that effort could make me heard right it doesn't matter i was not it doesn't matter where and how i was born i will i will sort of in the this sort of theme of growth grow to the point where I can I can get to that level but I don't want to get to that level and be immortal I want to get to that level and 
that to serve as like a beacon for people to say that, hey, everybody, I don't care who you are, everybody can get there. That is the ideal I strive for. And you know what? That is probably one of the most respectable things that I think any person could ever say to me, right? Like you want to encourage others to reach that as well. To me, that's beautiful, right? I'm just, I'm me personally, I've determined that I am selfish, right? I, I take that drive that I have and have decided to just use it for myself. You want to share it with everyone else and get them to do the same thing. Mm. I'm okay with just saying, I'm going to do it. And if you want to follow my example, by all means, go for it, right? But yeah. you're saying, no, you other people, you're like pulling the rest of the world up behind you. And that's, that's heroic even, right? Like I, that's how I view it anyway, right? Like I see that as an act that's potentially more self-sacrificing, right? Like, no, definitely more self-sacrificing, right? Because for me, it's ultimately going to serve my own ends. But for you, it's going to serve everyone else, right? Right. It's going to push humanity forward. I, I really hope so. And that, I mean, that's part of why I'm compelled so to do this and have this kind of conversation. It's why I chose someone like you. Right. It's because in my eyes, there there's there's this potential I've seen because of because of the experience that we've had together. So mm-hmm. you, you may so it is it is there is a bit of selflessness, I, I admit it, but it's not completely selfless, right? In order to achieve sort of greatness to the level that we're talking about, there must be cooperation and there must be some some sort of like um, conflict, right? It's like yep the greater your ambition, the greater my ambition, if that comes into conflict in a peaceful way, right? Sure. <laughs> it's like the, the sort of friendly rivals arc, right? That, that kind of thing. It's like yeah. the, at the very first episode, you introduce a rival and that's the way you achieve growth, but you do it in your own kind of way. Yeah. There's, there's something to that. But it's also, I just want to see a better world, right? A world where Josh is this prophetic person telling this story and I'm in the audience that's a world I want to live in and that's a world I want to nurture, right? So if, if it's conversation that I, I believe that that's my thing, it's like asking these questions, digging deeper, and then just trying to get you yourself to compel yourself to get to where you want to be, right? It's just, I'm trying to understand who you are, right? But I also see that you want to be something greater. So hopefully in that process of discourse, right? it's it's a step along that that journey that, that that's the objective yeah and I, well that's the thing i think you're the kind of person that has that power but i don't think having this conversation with just anyone would get me the same feeling right like i feel more motivated right now having this conversation with you and i feel that way every time we have a conversation i always walk out of it like okay now i got to go sit down i got to go crank out this i got to work on this new painting or i got to write down this new script or I got to work on this new stuff for my D&D campaign, right? Because I'm like, yes, someone out there shares that, right? Someone out there understands what I mean when I say that I want to reach these heights, right? Because I think for a lot of people, it's laughable even to, to say, I want to become the greatest storyteller. But for you, it's, I want to push you. You just want to push other people to reach that point. And I think people like me need people like you so that we can reach those points, right? Because I think you just naturally will accomplish the thing you're talking about, right? I think you'll just naturally, continuing along your path, 
force the rest of the people that you interact with to reach closer to those ideals, right? And I think that for someone like me, who's all that stuff is like internally motivated, right? But having external forces also pushing them is always going to help, right? I think one day I will likely be able to do it as long as I keep talking to people like you. And I, I hope it helps I me. Those people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just keep being that person, right? Just keep being one of those people. I think that the world will be a lot better off for it, right? And we're not necessarily talking about stuff that's like, I don't know, popular to talk about in the in the public sphere right now, right? Like we're not talking about making systemic changes to our government or, or you know, something like that. We're talking about we're talking about the world on a much more, I don't know, philosophical scale, maybe. I don't know. I don't know the words. I hate I would hate to sound like I think I know everything, but I'm gonna put it out there and say that I think I've thought about this a lot, at least, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I feel it feels like this is where the world goes once we've reached past all of the petty squabbles and the stupid stuff that doesn't, I don't think ultimately should matter to people. Right. Like we, you and me are both Brown people, right? (laughs) Like, Like no one's like in the world 50 years ago, we would have had a real crack time here. Right. So the world is changing around us. And I think that there are good people working on making those changes. And I want to encourage and support and help to move those changes forward. But as much as I think there's a part of me that says that should be my biggest goal. I know deep down, that's not my biggest goal. Yeah. I know what I want to accomplish. Right. And in spite of, it's not like me crossing some racial barriers or whatever is like not going to, you know, impede my progress. I'm sure it will, right? But I don't have time for that. I don't have time to think about that because there are bigger pictures I'm trying to paint, right? There are larger stories I want to tell. There are grander narratives to weave. And the one around me is only a small part of the greatest story I can ever tell, right? Beautiful. It's so true. I mean, Yes. So this is, I mean, part of the conversation earlier, I told you to stop substantiating. It's, it's because of this. Like, I know you're thinking, I know you're considerate. I know you're thinking about these things. You have this grand ambition. Go for it. You can justify things after the fact. I mean, remember that conversation Apan and Connor were having that you were trying to, to be a part of where they were talking about like quantum mechanics in the brain. Yeah. I, I was very intentional. I was actually kind of annoyed. I was very intentional about what I said when I said it. I said, Josh, you can make more of a contribution to this than both of them combined based on the skill that you have, right? Your ability to to encode experience in this way and make it into a consumable form will let us and the world know more about the cognitive capabilities and the brain than, than this discussion about quantum mechanics ever could, right? That, and but that's not even your goal. It's like a side, it's a consequence of your goal. It's just that, a thing that happens. beautiful, right? You don't, you will inspire millions of people along the way, but that's not necessarily what you're thinking about. No. I want to know what you're really thinking about. And, it, and you've said it, you've already said it, right? It is to be this, it's, it's like, it's prophetic, right? It's really is prophetic. And I respect that. And, and just 
straight up that that's what it should be like i don't sure there are big important things that we could be working on but i really firmly believe that we should be working on the things that compel us the most yes especially if they are as thought out as what you're saying that's yeah. a, a huge like asterisk <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah very big important part a if, if it's actually thought out no i agree i agree right and that's something like I think I've had to dance around a lot. Um, when I was uh, like a kid and I was in like, I don't know, fifth grade or something like that. And I had a PE teacher. Her name was uh, Miss Schiller. She was a lovely lady. And she always used to call me Dr. Bun, right? And I used to think, oh, there's a part of me, right? That, that should become something like that. Or I should, because I've got whatever intellect, I should use that for the good of others, become a doctor, help save people's lives, right? But ultimately I decided against that. Why? Because that's just not what I cared about, right? Like, I like other people. I don't want other people to suffer. I want them to exist and be happy and healthy and all that kind of jazz. But that's just not what I care about. Right? And I like, I've, as I've grown older, I've become more and more honest with myself about what I actually care about. And that liberation from the reins of like, caring about what other people say I should care about has pushed me forward in this ideal to become a good storyteller. Right? Yeah. And that's not to say I don't care about those things at all, because obviously I do, but again, I'm just substantiating, right? I'm just trying to make it clear that I'm not a horrible human being, but the reality is you're gonna think whatever you're gonna think. <laughs> yes, yes, your substantiation doesn't actually convince me any way besides the opposite of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Right, so that's why, <laughs> in my opinion, and this is just an opinion, Drop substantiation. Be who you yeah. are. That's that's the thing, right? I, I think I do that a lot. I think I substantiate all the time. I, I've noticed it. Yeah, because I want I don't want it to be misinterpreted that I'm horrible, right? Because yeah. I think that's important to me, right? But slowly but surely, I think I've been shedding this idea that I need to prove that I'm not horrible and just be who I am, right? Mm -hmm. But having a conversation with you about this has already catalyzed, or I think that's the right word, yeah, <laughs> has already catalyzed me thinking about the fact that I substantiate, and now I will probably do it way less. Yeah. Right? I'll probably just say what's on my mind and just do what I want to do and not even bother to provide some other evidence to the contrary to, to make you feel good about it or whatever. I'm just going to do what I want to do, and you can judge my actions thusly. Exactly. I think that's a good way to live. I certainly agree. I certainly agree. And I feel like I also want to live in a world where if I, if I really do have this grand vision, I don't want to feel, I don't want to feel judged for it. I want to be supported for it. I supported yeah. by it. And if not supported, I just want to have a conversation about it. I, like being laughed at for having this kind of a dream. That's a tragedy. That is absolutely tragic. Right. Like, what, what, if you say that, if you if you laugh at a child early enough when they tell you that they want to change the world, what's going to happen to that kid? They're never going to change the world. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Right. Like, there are some kids who are born and they're, I don't know, unique or talented or special enough or whatever you want to call it. Right. That people laugh at them when they say they want to do something and then they do it anyway. Right. Um, and we can call that all sorts of things, but I don't think it ultimately matters. No. But those kids go on to create to accomplish great things, but just how many more could do something also great if we just supported them. Exactly. Right? 
the world would be drastically different, right? Like I remember in college, I was in my freshman design class. Um, wait, no, it was a, no sophomore design class, right? It was sketching, right? And we had a professor. He was a, a really strict and stern man, but I, I looked at his sketch work and it was amazing. And I said out loud in class, didn't really think about it. I just said out loud, I want to be better than you at sketching. And everyone just kind of looked at me and he looked at me and he was like, <laughs> right? Like he just was like, no, that's never going to happen. Right. Or he just didn't believe in me to be able to do so. And that affected my ability to do so. Right? I was like, ah, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said that out loud. Right. When in actuality, what I realized now was the right thing for him to say was. Maybe maybe he says something competitive or whatever, like you're going to have to work real hard or you're going to have to try harder, but not just to look at me as if that was impossible, you know, because mm -hmm. that's that's what you should do. Like, I don't care. Like, the thing is, if I become remembered forever as a great storyteller, I'm not worried about the idea that other people might become better than me at it. Right. In fact, I would rejoice because that means that. First of all, I'm still going to be remembered because now there's another person who is being compared to me to have reached becoming better than me, right? Yeah. That's huge, right? Just because LeBron James came around doesn't mean we forgot who Michael Jordan was. That, that's some bars. Those <laughs> are some bars. Right? Yeah. Think about that. You're never going to forget who Michael Jordan was just because LeBron James is now definitely the best basketball player of all time, right? Yeah. Now you know my, my, LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan was, and that's how you got to that conclusion, right? You decided he was the best because now you've determined he's better than Michael Jordan was, right? But he's always still a part of that metric, right? Maybe when a third person comes along who is better than LeBron James, maybe the Michael Jordan of, uh, starts to be forgotten. But I doubt it. No. I don't think I so. doubt it. All of a sudden, it's these were the three best players we ever had in basketball, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to be like that for all of humanity, right? Like, no one's going to forget Venus and Serena Williams or no. Tiger Woods, right? Like, at least not in our, our culture, right? Depending yeah. on how globalized the planet gets, maybe we never forget them at all. Maybe it depends on what happens with those sports, right? And of course, a human can't control for that with their own legacy, right? But you can certainly do everything in your power to do so. And that's the rub. That that's 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 the rub. That's exactly yeah. what I wanted to hear. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. If 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 that idea prevents you from moving forward, probably shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> nope. But if you if you're willing to just say you know what f it I'm gonna try anyway. Yeah. Have you seen the Michael Jordan documentary? I haven't watched it yet. I. If you want to feel a bit more compelled, I, I highly recommend. Yeah. Yes. He he is. You know, fascinating, very fascinating. He uses storytelling. Interesting. He specifically, says these words himself. The reason I am able to be, the reason I was able to become as good as I was is because I was able to create stories in my head. He can imagine it. <laughs> he, one of the things he would notoriously do is create enemies in his head. 
like he wouldn't act on it like he wouldn't like go harm anybody but he would sure. create antagonists in his head so that during mm-hmm. this game this person mm-hmm. crossed me this is going to be a demonstration that like in my mind i can overcome this that that's powerful right because yeah. not only is he if he's creating an antagonist that means he's setting himself up as the protagonist yeah right? and if you're the protagonist in the end of the story you're supposed to succeed like that's the classic hero's tale right and so if you can set that up and you can let that push you forward i think you're going to accomplish some big things and And that's what we see with michael jordan yeah (laughs) and and i think the thing i don't want to overlook is that there was the raw talent combined with this intention right Mm -hmm. so to make comparisons right the raw talent that i saw in you when you commanded that audience that that i hear when you're telling these stories combined with intention extrapolate just extrapolate. Do it. <laughs> Seriously, you said yourself you have a finite amount of time yes use your time i think furthermore it's very easy to get lost and i find myself doing this but i'm i don't know if like we could we could talk about it later but like what, what kind of path i'm on right now but i will absolutely not get lost in the careerist path that is that is a decision I made, and I will I will die with that decision. That's fine. And, and part of that is to force myself to recognize the things that I really want to do and care about, because it's very easy to mask fear by practicality. Oh yeah, very I agree. Easy. I agree. And it's also compelling because you could just be like, "Wow, I could make this much money doing this, and I could just do it forever." And I won't have to worry about the thought of failing at the thing that I really wanted to do. Yeah. I I firmly believe that when you're at your deathbed, you're going to be like, I I never did that thing. (laughs) I messed up. Yep. Yeah. I don't want to get there. I really don't want to get there. I get that. I get that on a very real level, especially when you, when you bring up the idea of a deathbed, right? Like, cause I've thought about what will it be like out on my deathbed, right? Like who will be around me? Why will they be around me, right? Like, what will I be thinking about my life when I know that it's about to be over, right? And I realized that when I was thinking, oh, I'll become an engineer and then I'll make good money and it'll be cool, whatever, and I'll just get a nice house and a family and all that kind of shit, that ultimately that stuff is cool. And those are things that are still desirable to me, but it won't be enough. It won't be, I won't feel like I've done enough, right? It feels like I can do more and it feels like I would feel like I wasted my time, right? When there's so much more that could be done, right? When I was uh, graduating from high school, I I gave the valedictorian speech. And one of the things I tried to say to my classmates was that we have a lot of like information and stuff at our fingertips because you know the internet (laughs) and we just don't use it we just don't use this power that we have to gain access to new knowledge regularly right and i wanted i tried to encourage them that they could they they could become virtually anything by literally just watching a video on youtube even right (laughs) and i think one of the things that made me the saddest was feeling like no one was paying attention to that no one was listening to me saying that, right? And that was a, a part of that was that idea that like my, my force of will wasn't enough to reach those people, right? And I think that became ingrained into me 
how knowing how what I'm saying, not just my force of will, but what I'm saying for it to reach people, you still have to say it in a certain way. You have to pick the right time, the right place, the right way to get stuff across to people. Mm-hmm. That's why I think I spent so much time while I was in college just exploring other stuff. I was like, okay, clearly this isn't it. But when I finally came back around, I was like, no, like this is it. There's something there to this like idea that I stood in front of, I don't know, five, 600 people and gave a speech, right? There was something magical about that. And I felt good when I was giving that speech. I was like, oh yeah, they're eating this up. They're they're loving this. They're going to go out there and change their lives. Everyone's going to become like these hype beasts. I'm going to be so proud of my classmates, right? That's what I was. I felt that when I was giving that speech, but later when I talked to my classmates and most of them were like, man, you were talking for so long. I can't believe you were going on and on. And I was like, Oh man. And I was just like, y'all weren't even listening. (laughs) And that's to me, that was shocking. But it didn't discourage me from this idea that I need to still do this. It made me learn something. And I, that's the kind of person I want to continue to be, right? Or I take I a, an experience and I just learn something from it. Yeah, I think that's fantastic, right? Someone could have easily heard that and, been, and have been disheartened, right? But you keep going. It's more of a challenge. It makes it more compelling, right? Yeah. I think right now you're competing with this whole concept of just like deaf ears right it's just like maybe people don't want to listen right or maybe maybe they don't have the attention to listen anymore because we're so used to like just it being in little snippets (laughs) yeah and and one of the efforts that i've maintained like by getting rid of social media by actually reading again and sitting down for hours and just in front of a book not in front of like a a screen right Mm -hmm. It's, it's to get back to this form that you're talking about, right? It's just like, Mm -hmm. there's something very powerful to it. I don't think it should be lost. And I think it would be a great service to bring it back. (laughs) Yeah, I should be on board with that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know, for me, social media and stuff, I've been a part of for obviously a long time, right? I don't know when I got a Facebook, but I'm sure it was back in like eighth grade or some crap like that. And that's a long time to be using social media, right? Yeah. It, since basically it's infancy, right? And I remember using it, being like, this is pretty cool, being able to share my thoughts with people and stuff. When I first started using Facebook, the kinds of things I would say on Facebook are the kinds of things that we are having a conversation about, right? Like I used it in this way, wow. right? in that same way to like stand up in front of people and to say something to them, right? And what I, over time, I stopped using social media that way, right? Because no one would, it, it, was too, it was too much to try to compress into a little bit. Like 140 characters on Twitter or 280 now, is, it's just not enough. It's not enough to, to say what I want to say, to get across what I want to get across. And I thought it was because I'm a really long-winded person, which some of your listeners probably will agree with, right? <laughs> but... I realized it's not just because I'm long-winded. It's because I have a lot I want to say. I'm pretty aware of when I'm circling back on something I've already said. I like to think most of the time I'm saying something new that's been built off of what I said previously. Yes. I think there's also something lost with inflection. Absolutely. 
there's there's a true beauty to like the odd audio like the audio that you can produce with your mouth with your body it is an oh, extension yeah. of your body and yes it is it's for this reason that i think you just you can't communicate the same thing when you write you absolutely no. cannot no i've discovered it right <laughs> like you know from memes maybe but like on tinder and bumble stuff like that right i can't I can't be the same person. I, I just am not capable of forming relationships online with people. It does not work for me. As much as I think I can get my personality across or whatever in messages, I it just never feels right. It never feels like it's me. Yeah. Um, recently, when I or at least when I still had Tinder, I was trying to imagine as if I was having the conversation in person. Right. So I was. I would instead of just reading their message and responding with whatever I would read their message and then think about as if I was standing in front of them at some random location. And then how would I say it? And what I realized was what I had typed was not what I would have said if I was there at all, just completely. Right. There's like almost as if my brain is blank when I'm speaking to you in person and it's just raw, whatever. I, I won't probably remember much of what I've said today. Right. Right. <laughs> but in text message, like you sit there, you're paralyzed. You can just think about everything, right? And there's so much more intention in what you're writing, but people aren't going to get that. They're not going to get all this like subtext and like this reading in between the lines, like all that. They're not going to get all that. No. But you can just say all of it if you're right in front of them, right? Exactly. And they can they can read your your energy, your passion, your vibes, whatever people want to call it, because you know. Hashtags. <laughs> yeah. here's, here's, the, here's the hashtag business idea. Uh-huh. Create a dating app where it's no longer text-based. Or not, I don't know if it's called a dating app. What is it, how you refer to it? Is I guess it they're called dating app. Matchmaking app where it's not text-based, but it's audio, maybe video-based. That could be kind of interesting. So, um, so a lot of, uh, especially in this era of uh, Pandy, <laughs> a lot of dating apps have taken up like video chat as a, as a feature now. Right. So you don't have to like get someone's number and I don't know, I message them or the FaceTime them or whatever. Excuse me. Instead, you can just use it on that, that app, but I've never used it. And I think the reason why is because there's something inherently different about like you're texting someone and then you say, Hey, let's video chat instead of just being there already. Right. Right. There's, There's a change there. Right. Like you and I, we know each other. So you saying, Josh, let's hop on this Zoom call and do this interview or whatever, whatever, right? But if I didn't know you, this would be different. I agree. Very different. And I think that's, that's, it speaks to something intrinsic about the human experience. Not that conversation can't be held, like relationships can't be held digitally like this, but that there's something to the amount of time that you do it that changes the nature of it. Well, so here, here's what I challenge you on is wouldn't you feel, so suppose you have a dating app where you could just be like, here's a request to video call. Here's a request to video call. If they overlap, boom, figure out a date, right? So suppose that exists and it works. That first video call, would it, wouldn't it be the same as just meeting that person for the first time on a date? I would argue it would, right? I, I, would, I would agree with that sentiment, right? What's, yeah. what's causing the issue is the idea that instead it's prefaced by text. Ah, right? I see. Okay, so yeah. the thing I just built was not prefaced by text. No. Right. 
I think, but, do you like, think people would go for that. That's what I'm trying to think about. I honestly don't know, right? Like, I think that so someone like me who thinks that all of their chances are for like finding a partner or whatever are mostly tied into like presenting my personality in person, right? Mm-hmm. I think that for someone like me, that kind of app would be strong, right? Like, I would be interested in that kind of thing, right? But I think most people are. Well, I don't want to say that, actually. I don't think that. I, there's not as many extroverted people who would handle that, I think, as as, uh, as there are introverted people who would be against something like that, right? That's fair. You know, actually, um, when I think about it, the amount of people who are willing to go to a bar and just talk to a random person, that number is probably pretty small. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yes. a similar thing. It's a very pretty small thing. It's usually like you know yeah. someone who knows someone who introduces you. Yes. And even for me, right? Like I like to think I'm a pretty extroverted person, but I'm also not going to go to a bar and just randomly start talking to some girl. Right. Right. There's a lot of different layers of like things that I would be worried about. Right. Namely, I'm a tall man. Right. Approaching some random girl. She could feel endangered by me just walking up to her. And I I don't, there's a part of me that always is going to feel like, uh i'm impeding on someone else's space like as a person that's grown up you know tall and kind of large in general right i'm not like you know overweight or anything like that. i've been pretty skinny my whole life but i still feel like i have a large presence if that makes any sense and when i approach someone i i I think i've made a lot of effort to not let that presence impose on people right Mm -hmm. and i i know how to turn that on and off um, and that's a part of, I think, the charm of who I am, right? And so when I meet a person at first, I don't come at them with this. I'm not like this huge, larger-than-life person. But once you've spent some time, you've become comfortable, suddenly that appears, right? Yeah. And for most people, knowing or being able to see that there's more to a person creates this inherent interest that makes them want to know more about you, right? It makes them interested. And I think that that's just how it works for me, right? That's always what's going to be what works for me. Um, but that means I'm never going to just walk up to some girl at a bar. <laughs> like, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Like, I'm meeting a new person is fine. I'm not going to be nervous. I'm going to say, hey, what's going on? How's it going? Whatever. We can chat. But it's going to take a while before I can, it's going to take a long time before I can have this conversation with them, right? Uh, I can have this kind of conversation on a first date, right? But the issue is always going to be, do I feel like I'm getting that back from them? Right, right. There must be reciprocation. Yes. And that's just never going to happen. Like, or, I'm not going to say never, right? Maybe my ideal partner, like maybe my like perfect significant other soulmate, if that's what you believe in, is like exactly that. And I meet her one day and it's super hype, yeah. right? But I like to think that the chances are, I'll meet someone who is like me in that they're not going to be big at first, Mm, but we'll be interested. And then we are both, we discover that we are both like that. And that's where that magic happens. Right. Because all of a sudden that's huge. Like that's huge to me. Like that would be massive. I I don't know how we got ended up talking about (laughs) my dating preferences. <laughs> it's fine. It go wherever, right? Uh, we started well, whatever, talking yeah. about uh, social media. We went from yeah, social media right. to sound bites to, to to Bumble, I think it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
but yeah, like little snippets and stuff in social media and stuff are not enough to get across any of that. Right? It, like, there's no way for me to feel like I got across who I am just through text. Right. I feel like I need to use my voice to get it across. And so this is why podcasting to me is, has been so compelling. I listen to several podcasts. Mm-hmm. Not only do you get to maintain the inflection, it's a face-to-face conversation usually, except for when we like, can't be in the same room. Mm-hmm. And it's like two to three hours. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's beautiful. I heard someone who was, who was on a podcast put it so brilliantly. She was saying, when I'm listening to a podcast between two people, I feel like I almost shouldn't be there. I, I feel like... <laughs> I'm, I'm getting in on like a really, like I'm getting in on a conversation where I'm, you know, sitting at like another table mm-hmm. and it's like, I want to know more. I want to, I want to listen. But yeah. Yeah. yeah there's, there's like a little bit of that going on. And I, it's I, like I, a little, little private bit. conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's like a nice appeal in that. For sure. Right. I think, I think that's always, there's always going to be an appeal in that because people, I think people in, inherently carry a desire to know more about others. Right. <clears throat> People, yeah. we've called it different things throughout lifetime, like nosiness and stuff like that. <laughs> but like, you just want to know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, like, I want to know, like, what is she doing over there? Like, I see two, I see a couple, right? And like, one of them looks upset. Like, I want to know, like, oh, snap, what happened? Right? Like, that's, that's something you want to know. And that's where like the drama of storytelling comes in, right? Because exactly. suddenly you're just let in on it, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly and it, it, like i'm greg i'm glad you mentioned that's literally a form of storytelling right yeah <laughs> like, okay wait I, I just got part of this it's like super juicy there's like raw emotion happening what's going on let me try to like grind and figure it out and i'll like slowly piece it together yeah let me key in on this like oh okay okay i think i think he's cheating with her sister and like you're like <laughs> oh like this is interesting right, right because it's just a different life experience than the one you have right? It's a part of that accumulation of experiences because I think storytelling is the most, stories are the most compelling things to people, right? Like I think there's always going to be magic in that. That's why we use it to sell products and stuff like that. And so being able to just like catch those little snippets, like hear that little bits and pieces, and then you could just piece together what happened. There's always something that's going to be amazing about that idea. So I don't know. For me, it's always going to be like that. I think, I, as much as I don't, I don't really like reality TV and stuff like that. But I get their appeal. I get yeah. it. right. Like if I was like with someone who was like, "Yo, let's watch The Bachelorette or whatever," I'd watch it. I'd be like, "Yeah, sure, let's do it. Let's hit it." I'd probably make fun of it, right? Because I'd be like, "Oh, well, this is none of this is real." But that doesn't make it not a good story, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's large enough people who agree that it is a great story. That's why it's being funded, probably. Yeah. But- there's something about this effect that we're talking about where, you know, you're walking down the street and you like run across like 20 people you used to run across like 20 people you don't know. And you realize each one of them has their own version of the thing that you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And that somehow brings you to this sort of meta level of like, holy crap, like the absurdity of our situation. Like we're all these like little, little things on this ball and it's just like being hurled to nowhere. It's just, it's, it's that, which is kind of like, holy shit. <laughs> it's insane, right? <laughs> like, I find myself wondering a lot of the times, like sometimes I'll just be, I don't know, if I was taking a walk outside, a car drives by, I see some random person in the car, and I think, I wonder what their entire life is like, right? Not because I particularly care about them, but because I realize that I have had a life full of experiences, 
And that's a lot of stuff. And there is just that much stuff in just this one other person over there, right? Like, yeah. I can't craft that. That's just a whole other person, right? That's that's bananas. And then there's 7 billion of those things going around. <laughs> yeah. That's insane, right? But that's that's humanity. That's the experience, right? And even then, we still have to share things that are in common. Those people, they intersect. They come across with each other. One person meets another person. They never see each other again. But this person interacts with another person. And now, tangentially, you have interacted with that person. right? Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Well, so I, I want to bring this back to you were saying part of your effort right now is to explore a lot of different types of media, different forms mm -hmm. of storytelling. What about just, like, getting in on the story of someone you're having a conversation with, right? That that's one. You're literally yep. learning about someone's life story. Yeah. And now there are seven billion people to choose from. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of stories to learn. That's a lot of stories. And they're yeah. probably each very unique and very, you know, have their like whole compelling components. And it's just it's just bizarre. Yeah. That's yeah. the that's the thing, right? Like there's no tropes to life. Like there's there's plenty of tropes in like writing and stuff, right? But if I were to ask someone to just tell me about their life. They would. They wouldn't be. I wouldn't be able to predict the plot. You know what I mean? Like that's. It's not the same, right? Like I could say, "Wow, these circumstances likely lead to this," but that's not the same as saying, "Like I know that the first girl that shows up in a rom com anime is likely going to be the one that the main protagonist decides to marry or whatever." Right? Like that's 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 a trope. But real life doesn't have that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think real life would be really boring if it had that. Because then yes! all those 7 billion people would be super predictable. Yes, that would be ultimately awful. And so, yeah, life, real life is going to be way more interesting than the, the standard fictional story. But, but a keen observer of real life might be able to tell a real story that's more interesting than real life. Wow. And that's what makes you a great storyteller, right? Yeah. That's why I love The Count of Monte Cristo, right? Because it's obviously fictional, but it just feels like it's so ingrained into a real experience while also maintaining its own fantasticalness, I guess, mm -hmm. right? That it's, it's just compelling. Right? Like this crazy story for revenge. This dude goes to prison and then he becomes stupid rich because he happens to meet a dude who secretly had a hidden wealth. Right. He escapes prison, gets this wealth, becomes a super baller. Right. Then comes back and instead of just being satisfied with life, he's like, you know what? Screw those kids who screwed me. I'm going to come back and mess up their whole life in a very like, like, like i don't even know like just a logically thought out process like he's put a lot of thought into how he was going to screw up their lives wow that sounds super cool yeah it's awesome <laughs> like it's just the crazy revenge plot though right like everyone knows stories for revenge right like we all we all know what that's like yeah and this is just like cranking it and taking it to the extreme like yeah. giving it the proper means yes what are you saying with that uh, yeah, there's a there's a beauty in this idea that there's uh, that there's life experiences that can be extrapolated to tell even more amazing fictional ones, right? Yeah, I think there's like that fantastic element where you're not resource limited anymore. Yes, 
right? Like, because if I want to get revenge on, I don't know, I don't really have anyone I want to get revenge on because my life has been pretty great, to be honest. But um, I don't know if I wanted to get revenge on uh, Alex because he said something mean to me. Like, like my means for doing so are limited. But if it's a story about me getting revenge on Alex, my means for doing so are limitless. Yes. And that's a completely different kind of tale, right? And of course, you can say, you know, well, that makes it not realistic or whatever. But the author decides what's realistic. The storyteller decides what you have to accept as the audience, right? And there's power in that. And I think that's a part of what feels, what makes me want to gravitate towards that power, right? I like power. I don't know anyone who doesn't. <laughs> yeah, and, and someone who's, who does who says they don't is probably not telling the truth. <laughs> I'm just I'm just being honest. Yeah. <laughs> just trying not to substantiate. That's all. Don't. 